0: I don't know, maybe nowadays more more gyms have this. But their wrestling, they had the mat right in the middle of the gym, but then they, they had this spotlight that lowered down, and the only area of the gym that was lit up was the round circle of the wrestling mat. And, and the first time you were there, it was kind of... Um, if you weren't prepared, and even if you were, it was somewhat intimidating. It, and you think, why would that? Well, it was just different. It was, um, it was part of Clarion um, mystique, so to speak. And they were really, um, they really worked everything. So the coach would prepare us and he'd say and this is how the introductions are going to be and and you know don't worry about all this extracurricular stuff just go out and do your job and preparation in any aspect of life is is the vast majority of of success and yet when we as christians look at how we live our life, often it's just kind of like we we just bumble our way through it. Now, tonight I want us to look at, at this aspect of understanding the times with this in mind of preparing. Now, none of us know, what 2009 holds. None of us even know if we're going to see 2009. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't that be a blessing if the Lord came before you have to bring your good food and good games Wednesday night? I mean, we don't know. And, and there's, there's no way we can know, Thank, thankfully, in God's mercy... He does not let us know what the next hour holds. But he says in Matthew chapter 16 that um, you can discern the skies, you can discern the weather patterns, you've got Doppler, Mega Doppler radar, and all these things. But he said, you, You're not able to discern the signs of the times. And he said, for that reason, you're not prepared. Now, um, I am not a prophet, although that probably is my spiritual gift in, in the difference. But I am not one that is able to stand here tonight and tell you what 2009 is going to hold. You can buy those magazines at the grocery store. And uh, they will tell you what's going to happen in 2009 from their perspective. I've, I've always, I don't know if anyone's ever done this, all these predictions and these psychics give these predictions. You know, if you make enough predictions, you're bound to get one of them right. But look at their success rate. The the proof of a prophet is that everything that he says comes true. That's a prophet of God. So I am not here tonight to be able to say um, this and this and this is going to happen, needless to say. But tonight we're going to look at things, and whether it happens this week or this year, there are certain things that as believers we really need to be prepared for and in understanding the times what are these times that we are living in and and as you see as we're going to go through this these times aren't unique to us they they aren't something that wow we're we're going to be treading in 2009 on Uh, circumstances and situations that people have never faced before. In a certain regard, we will be. But it's not like these testings will be new. It's not like they're unique. One thing you learn from history is that history repeats itself. And one of the reasons in Sunday school that we're going to be going over some of these aspects And it may not sound very um, exciting to you, but because we do not know history, we repeat the same mistakes. And it's true in church history. And, And so we're going to be going over that. But in learning from history, it helps prepare us for what we're facing. And in looking at history, you're going to see that these times that we're going to look at tonight are are times that have happened before. But I really believe we're going we're going to be in America, we're going to be pursuing or we're going to be entering would be an, a better term. We're going to be entering grounds that are frontier grounds for most all of us. That that we haven't faced things before like we may be forced to face. But in, in looking at these, regardless whether we actually meet this face-to-face, in preparing for these things, we'll be better off. In understanding in some of these, we are in the midst of right now. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, I want you to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In understanding the times, we need to understand, and you've heard it over and over, but it's too easy for us to forget it. We need to understand that these are times of warfare. I mean, as a believer, and if you are committed, as we talked this morning, I am one that is committed to hunger and thirst after righteousness. As a growing believer, you are in the crosshairs of the warfare. Satan wants to take down a growing believer. And and in understanding this aspect, warfare means someone's after you. It means there is opposition. You know, many times in the Christian life, we're surprised when opposition comes. It, it shouldn't surprise us. We should expect it. Where is opposition going to come today? How is the opposition going to come? From my own heart. From uh, my surroundings. From... In an understanding, there will be opposition. Every step for Christ is a contested step. And we need to understand that warfare means there's opposition, warfare also means that there are casualties and fatalities. In every warfare, there are wounded. And there are those that that lose their life. Sometimes as Christians we say, I can't believe that happened to a Christian. Hey, it's warfare. And when we do not take the armor of a Christian, when we do not equip ourselves... Uh, we can we can be dangerously injured spiritually as well as physically and and critically dang, and critically um, injured to the point of taking us. So warfare because it's warfare. I mean, how many, how many of you have been, not just in the military, how many of you have been in physical warfare? How many of you here tonight? In no one? No. You know, um, I get a little weary of these athletes that say, it is war out there. They don't have a clue what war is. And you know what? I don't have a clue what war is. And none of us here tonight have a clue what war is. And because of that, we're pretty ignorant when it comes to the spiritual warfare. This is guerrilla warfare. I I can't imagine what it would be like to be living in Gaza tonight. I can't imagine what real war and and do you understand there are many people around the world that that's all they know, but because and I'm praise God, we don't know that, and praise God, there are um, soldiers that have defended us through the years, but because of that, we are we are somewhat naive when it comes to the spiritual warfare. There you talk to those soldiers that have been over in Iraq, you know there are no rules to war. There are supposed to be. And Satan has no rules. There's nothing off limits. And it requires a, a heightened sense of alertness, As he mentioned here in 1 Peter chapter 5. So it's times of warfare. It is also times of confusion. From the very beginning, Satan said, Did God really say that? See? And he's trying to bring confusion. Now, Postmodernism is not some new way of thinking. It, it's always been around and it just recycles. Postmodernism basically says that there are no absolutes, that you can't know truth. And so every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Does that ring a bell with you from the book of Judges, chapter 17 and verse 25? Oh, if if that's right for you, that's good for you. But this is what's right for me, and that's right for me. And that describes... Well, that leads to utter confusion. Truth in and of itself is exclusive. And if anyone even argues that, it is proof of the fact. If they say, no, it is not exclusive... They are saying something that is exclusive. We don't have time to go into that tonight, but if you don't understand what we're saying, see me and we'll get you some more materials on it. But, But we live in a day where we want to say that this is right and this is right. You cannot have two contradictory things both be right. If I take you out tonight and I say, my car is black, and Asa meets you and says, Dad says the car is black, but it's blue. You know, he's getting kind of old. We both cannot be right. The car is either black or it is blue. Black or blue, okay? Okay. See how confusing it is, and yet we we live in a day where where truth the the general consensus is that truth cannot be identified and and whatever you determine truth to be and and that has spread over into Christianity. Just before the service tonight, I saw a headline and it said. Um, Pastor Rick Warren does not condone gay marriages, but he does not oppose gay relationships. Now, confusion is not just in the world, Christianity is really confused. And we are going to see more and more of the confusion. Romans chapter 1, if you want to read and reread a commentary on what is happening today, read Romans chapter 1. And it says, "...they did not retain God in their knowledge and chose to believe a lie, evolution primarily, in, in the sense that they worshipped and served the creature." More than they worshipped and served God. It goes on, and one of the things it says: professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. How how can you how can you justify the bailout of the automakers? Professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools. How can you how can you Understand this. Congress makes a law several years ago that you cannot, if you're a lender, you cannot require them to have a down payment for their house. You have to lend to them. And then all these people that did not have money for down payment, lo and behold, they're not able even to make a payment. And so the mortgage companies are held holding the bag... And the Congress that made the law that said you cannot turn people away, everyone... See, this, we think we're getting socialized. We are so socialized it's beyond our comprehension. They made the law, you are, you are not, you are not um, fair in this. Everyone should have the right to own a home even if they're irresponsible with their money, even if they don't work, even if they don't have enough money for a down payment. So you loan them the money. And then when that fails, then we all start pointing fingers. And then the government comes in and bails them out. And the government now owns the banks. I'm not saying they own all the banks, but I'm saying... Is that going to work? Has it ever worked? No, it's never worked. Professing ourselves to be wise, we have become fools. And these are times of confusion. Times of confusion in, in Christianity and nothing new. Back in Israel's days, he said to the to the priests and the prophets, he said, Woe to you, you put no difference between holy and unholy. He said, there's no difference. Holy and unholy, it's all the same to you. We're seeing that more and more and more, that there is no difference. To, to be more relevant, to, to reach the world more, we must become like them. You can't improve on the message God gave and the confusion that is there. The more double-minded we are, the more unstable we are. There is great confusion. What is right? What is wrong? These are times of confusion. So what must we do about it? We must commit ourselves to know the truth and be a seeker of the truth continually. It's not a one-time thing. Oh, I found Jesus, so I know the truth. No, it's continually pursuing God. It's knowing the truth. It's knowing how to present the truth. It's knowing how to defend the truth. It's knowing so that you can recognize the counterfeit, so that you're not... Easily confused. Thirdly, they will be times of division. Truth divides. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. He said, I will set a man at variance against, and he went on, and we don't have the time to go into it, but among family, and he said, I did not come to bring a oneness. He said, truth always brings a division. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't. They they won't want to hear it, and so they'll go and get teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. And and so we have teachers that are putting their finger to the wind and thinking. Well, this is, what, this is what their felt needs are. This is what they want to hear and telling them what they want to hear. Truth brings division. I, I, you and I both know, if you've been around here long enough, if, if there were certain things that we hadn't spoken the truth on, there'd be a lot more people here. But you know what? I'm gonna pitch my tent with truth. No, we can't we can't be offensive. Well, yeah. What I'm trying to say, truth offends. But we don't need to do it in an offensive manner. You know, it's not like we need to go around with the martyrs complex. It's not like we need to go around looking to chop people's heads off, but truth will offend. And the more we go on in the days we're living in, truth offends. I mentioned um, Rick Warren. President-elect Barack Obama has asked him to pray at the invocation of his inauguration. To show Barack Obama is doing this, to show that diverse peoples can come together and not demonize each other. Well, man, oh man, him doing that, the gay community has exploded. He's betrayed us. What's he doing? Rick Warren was was for Proposition Eight. He supported that in California, and that's against us. And When you try to straddle the fence, you're going to get shot at on both sides. Truth is coming down on God's side. And this aspect of times of division, I believe times are coming when God is going to use this separating to separate those that profess Christ from those that possess Christ. And this aspect of division, not that we go looking to make division, but we must be committed to truth regardless of the cost. You go back, we are here tonight because of individuals throughout history who were committed to truth and were willing to give their lives because this is what God said. In issues that many people today think are, oh, non-essentials. But because of it, they were committed to truth, and, and it was separating for them, separated them from this life. But if if you are a committed Christian, you need to be prepared, and maybe it won't happen in your lifetime or mine. But some of you have already known it. You need to be prepared to stand alone. You know what? We as creatures, as human beings, don't like being alone, we have a group mentality. But this aspect of standing alone and standing right with the right attitude throughout all of history. There have been people. Jason had us sing the song, I want to be faithful. I want to be true. You know, this aspect of truth. There will be times, these will be times of division. Fourthly, there will be times of persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 said, Beloved brethren, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. The... in America, we have been so blessed that, that our nation, our culture, has been friendly to Christianity. But that is rapidly changing. And as it changes, they see, they will see, and they do see us as standing in the way of, of uh, their programs being pushed forward. Don't be surprised at persecution. To prepare. Well, how do you prepare? Build our life on the Word of God. Memorize Scripture so that in the midst of the fiery trial that we can meditate on Scripture and allow His Word to minister to our hearts. You know, this isn't this isn't good stuff. But I could stand up here and I could say, "Think positive, and this will be the best year you've ever had." And and uh, you just need to do this and that, and everything will be wonderful. I hope. I hope. We prepare, and and we aren't persecuted. That's what I hope. But I can't guarantee that. And I want to be faithful. And for me to stand here and say, boy, I am going to stand alone, only by God's grace. And until I am put in the fiery trial, and see, God uses these things in our life throughout all of history. Tonight, around the world, there are, there are millions of people that are right now in times of persecution. But let me just add, these are also times of great opportunity. opportunity to show a difference. If you suffer, make sure it's for doing what is right, and make sure you do it with a godly attitude, we're told uh, throughout Scripture, to show a difference. It's an opportunity for the power of God to be seen in our life. It's an opportunity for truths to be personalized you know it's one thing to know that god is with me it's another thing to know as stephen knew that god was with him it's another thing to know the presence of god as paul and silas did in prison to to see the the personalization of truth and to see the unwavering commitment, I know God is real. These are times of great opportunity as we learn great dependence upon God. I, as you well know, I am no economic genius. But you don't have to be an economic genius to understand, um, I heard this, a week ago, forty three of the fifty states are spending more than they take in. Forty three out of fifty. Of course we know federally we're in a major mess. And we kind of take a little comfort. Gas is buck forty nine a gallon. You see that today? Wow, that is good. I think things are going to start happening. That as Americans, we have been the land of rich and plenty, and we haven't needed God. And God's just going to start taking away our dependence on all of this. And it's a great opportunity for us to cast ourselves wholly upon Him. A great opportunity for dependence. When all you have is God, and you find God is all you need, there is great joy in that. It is a time for great opportunity in many other ways, but let me just conclude with this. It is a time of great opportunity to show our love for God. God, I love you more than I love acceptance, more than I want to flee rejection, more than my life. More love to Thee, O Lord, more love to Thee. It's interesting to me, Jason didn't know what the message was on. I didn't know what the message was on until 4 o'clock this afternoon, okay? But you know what? To prepare for whatever comes, God, whatever comes, I want to show you I love you. I want to be faithful. I want to be true. It's a great opportunity to say, God, I love you more than I love my life. More than I love anything. And if it means rejection, if it means whatever it means, God, I love you. After all he's done for me in saving me from the lake of fire, how could we not be faithful to him? You know what? I pray that we would prepare for the worst out of love for God. And then to say, I was prepared. And maybe you didn't need it in this specific instant. But just in life, you are going to need it. Just in, if, if nothing major happens, just in life, these are times of great opportunity. And God, this is now an opportunity for me to show you that I love you. I love your ways more than anything else. Thank you for truth. Heavenly Father, I pray that if nothing else, we would be awakened tonight to say, I need to be preparing. Lord, it's so easy for us to sit at ease in Zion. To wring our hands about the condition of the world. to cry out to God about our personal inconveniences. And yet, Lord, I pray that the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold that is tried in the fire might be proven to the praise and honor and glory of You at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to realize the high level of alertness that we must be in. And I pray that those closest to fatalities or casualties tonight would be alerted and protected by your grace. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would truly stir in us a hunger and thirst for you, that we love you more than anything else we pray in Jesus name with thanksgiving amen let's